Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is Podcast 1051. Well, today and this week, I want to talk to you about the nuts and bolts of getting on with study. We've looked at hermeneutics. We've looked at various questions last week. And so I want to get back to going through line by line, concept by concept, principle after principle, in helping you understand the Word of God more fully. If I can do that and you get into the Word and the Word gets into you, then this is going to be a very fruitful time together. Now, remember, just because you have knowledge, all that does is just puff up unless it is used for the glory of God, unless you live it out in obedience. Theology is one thing, but praxis is another. That is, you practice it day by day, hour by hour, walking in obedience to God. Because the grace of God that saves us is the same grace of God that teaches us obedience. And it's always obedience. God doesn't give us gifts as toys, but as tools. God doesn't give us all that he's given us as far as knowledge for us to go parading around with pride and arrogance. Because truly, as Paul said in his passage on spiritual gifts, the longest one in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, you will notice that sandwiched in between the general chapter on gifts in chapter 12 and the specific chapter on gifts, the speaking gifts, tongues and prophecy, that love is right in the middle of it. That's right. The more you know, the more love you have to exhibit. The greater your capacity to learn will be the greater your responsibility to exercise all that God gives you within an atmosphere of unconditional agape chesed love. And so I want to talk to you about how you kind of gain a knowledge, a general running knowledge of the Bible. Well, as you know, when we broke down the time periods, I went through the first 11 chapters of Genesis and what I called a primeval period. Now, that's everything that happened up until specifically to the year 2166. Now, I believe that is the date of Abraham and the date of his birth, and I have reasons for that, and we will go into that as we get into the hermeneutic of dating, that is, of how you learn to date the scriptures, and some key dates from which we date many things. Now, I'm not talking about those that believe in higher criticism and they do everything based upon what they feel is scientifically so and what is based upon archaeology. Archaeology changes its interpretation down through the years because, you see, they haven't found everything. And even if they have, they would still change. And many of the archaeologists are not godly people. They're ungodly people. They're agnostics. They're people who are many times atheists. And they're out to show how smart they are instead of how great God is. 
But the Bible is the final authority to which we all must appeal. And so that's what I appeal to. What does God say? Because everything, whether it's science, whether it is humanities, whether it is archaeology, is all put up against the template of the Word of God. And that's my paradigm because the Word of God will stand forever. It's immutable. It's unchangeable. And so it is always the final authority to which I appeal. And so I want to encourage you to look at redemptive history. That is, when God narrowed down the redemption of mankind to a family. That's right, to a man, to a father. And his name was Abram, Avram, exalted father. And he was living in Mesopotamia, 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 the land between the rivers. And it was there in the city of Ur, which was the capital city of the Uruk people, that God called Abram. And he called him to go to a land that he would show him, a land that God promised to Abraham. This is why it's called the promised land. All the way through the entire Tanakh, the law, the prophets, and the writings, what we call the Old Testament, God reiterated that promise to the sons of Abraham and to his lineage. And God called Abram to go to a land that he would show him to get out from his kindred, from his relatives, who for the most part were idol worshipers, and to go to a place that God would show him. And so Abram eventually got there. And he came to the land of Canaan. And as you'll remember, he came down, I believe, through the Yabuk River Gorge, came across the Jordan River. There is a ford nearby there. And he went into Wadi Farah up to the land, a city that is between two hills, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And there he went to Shechem, Shechem. And from there, he went south to Bethel, to the house of God, so named by Abraham. And then his grandson, Jacob, had another experience there. I'm not getting into the details of that, but I want you to understand that God took Abram up and down that patriarchal highway called the Ridge Road by many, from Shechem, where it starts, Shechem, all the way to Beersheba, which is in the beginning of the Negev, of the dry land, of the thirsty land. And so you can read about Abram, who changed his name to Abraham, God did, because he would become the father of many nations. But God's redemptive history through Abraham began in chapter 12, where God made specific promises to Abraham. Now, this is not the covenant. This is just God's promise of a covenant. In chapter 12, now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. 
and in you all the families of the earth would be blessed. Remember, back in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelion was given, the gospel before the gospel, the good news before the good news, when God promised that he would send a seed that would crush the head of the tempter of Satan, the serpent. But in doing so, the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one's heel would be bruised. And from that first promise of redemption, God worked through various people, Noah and others, till he came to Abram. And when he came to Abram, everything changed. From Genesis chapter 12 all the way through the end of the Bible, both the Tanakh and the Berit Hadashah, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, you have two men in Jewish life that are prominent. The reason is to them were made unconditional promises. Now, the covenant was introduced to Abram, who became the father of the Jewish people. And in chapter 15, the covenant was cut through the blood ditch ritual. You can read about that. Now, that's actually where the covenant was made. And as we would say on this side of the cross, it was when Abraham was saved. He was chosen before that, just like we are. And he was truly saved when the covenant was cut. Chapter 15 is where the promise was quoted by the Apostle Paul and the statement was made in Genesis 15, 6, when God promised Abraham and reiterated the promise of land, lineage, of blessing, and of a seed that would bless the entire world, which was a messianic promise. In verse 6 of chapter 15, it says, And he, that is Abram, believed in the Lord. He trusted the Lord. And he, that is the Lord, that's the personal name of God, YHVH, called by the Orthodox and Jewish people, the people of the book, Hashem, the name, because of its reverence. They forgot how to pronounce it because there are no vowels in Hebrew. It was only pronounced once a year by the high priest on the Day of Atonement, and that was lost, the pronunciation. But it says, and he, that is Abram, believed the Lord, Yah, Y-H-V-H, and he, Y-H-V-H, God, the Lord, whatever Adonai that you want to say, Hashem, he accounted it to him, that is Abram, Abraham, for righteousness. And that is what the Apostle Paul uses as justification to show that a person is saved by faith, not by works of righteousness. And he deals with that in Romans chapter 4. In chapter 17, you have the seal or the sign of the covenant, which was circumcision then and now. And so the covenant with Abraham, this unconditional covenant where God says, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I will, I will, I will. Not if you, not if you, not if you, but I will. It's unconditional. It's based in the character and the choice of God, not in the works or the obedience or anything else of Abram. 
because God said, I'm going to do this because of who I am, not based on your attitude or your actions. Now, let me just tell you, Abraham not only had feet of clay, but he was a clay pot. He disobeyed God. He lied more than one time openly and publicly and was an embarrassment to God. He went into a handmaid against the will of God, not trusting the promises of God as he should have, and caused all kinds of problems that's still with us today with the birth of Ishmael, who is the father of the Arabs. Yes, a true son of Abraham, but not the son of promise. And we'll get into this more and more, but I want you to understand that Abraham was given an unconditional promise. So it was the seed of Abraham that was to be the line of redemption, the line of the Messiah. Now, this runs from Genesis 12 all the way through the entire New Testament. All of the prophecies were concerning the seed of Abraham and the Jewish people. And again, they were called Hebrews down through the ages. The reason they're called Jews or Jude, J-U-D-E, is because of the tribe of Judah. And remember, 10 tribes broke away and went north. And because of that, Judah was left alone. But just because those 10 tribes broke off and went north and set up their own kingdom does not mean that God cast them off. As you'll recall, Hezekiah had to build a broad wall after the destruction of the north to accommodate those refugees that came down from the north. So people from all of those tribes came south and they were a part of the tribe of Judah before the captivity in Babylon and even in the New Testament. Remember, you have the tribe of Asher mentioned. You have the tribe of Benjamin mentioned. God knows where all of these people are, and when it's time, he's going to set aside 144,000, 12,000 from 12 of the tribes. It's going to be just what God says it is. But what I want you to see is that there is an unconditional promise given to Abraham, and it is a promise, an unconditional covenant that God said, I'm going to give you land, I'm going to give you blessing. I'm going to give you a heritage. I'm going to bring the Messiah through your loins. And that's exactly what God did. And that's what I want to get across to you just for today, that God made a promise to Abraham, and he is going to keep that in every aspect. People say, well, what about the disobedience? Well, remember they would not get to enjoy the land and they would not be able to live in the land if they did not obey God. That's part of the Mosaic covenant, which came later, which was a conditional covenant. And God said, I'll bless you if you do this. If you obey, I will not bless you and punish you if indeed you disobey. But that doesn't mean that he would disown them. That is never taught in the word of God. And so Abraham is the first I want us to keep in mind all the way through the scripture where God made an unconditional covenant to him concerning those issues that I just mentioned. Now, tomorrow we will look at David and his unconditional promise of a kingdom. And the kingdom is going to come. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. 
Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.